Hello, everybody. Uh, you're listening to Two Peas in a Podcast. I feel like I can't change the name yet because we don't have Travis here today. So I'll just say that there's still time to vote or submit your ideas for a new podcast name on um, on our little Facebook poll. And next week we will unveil our new, new <laughs> our, our rebranded <laughs> podcast name. So uh, anyway, I'm Andrea Zitlow. I'm here this afternoon with Fiona Hamilton. Uh, it's a I was going to say it's a lovely Tuesday, but, but it's, it's really horribly not. cold it's outside. outside. But it's lovely that we have Tuesday afternoon off now. Fantastic. So, got all afternoon to do whatever other work you want to do. <laughs> um, so, we're here this week. What was the theme this week? Modular architecture. Yeah, well, that seems to be the, the theme of the seminar readings. Um, the theme that we talked about in lecture today. <laughs> like an hour ago. <laughs> we just talked about was union versus separation oh, yes, or something right. anyway we're gonna read the dream of the factory made house which is by walter gropius and conrad Wachman. um so we all know what walter gropius as one of the founders is he a founder or he just taught at the bauhaus anyway he is known for being involved with the bauhaus yeah, there we go and we did a little research on conrad Wachman. And Wikipedia tells us that he he was, of course, another German architect, um, but he met Gropius when he moved to the U.S., and that's where they started collaborating. Um, one fun fact is that he designed a summer house for Albert Einstein, um, who was one of his lifelong friends. So he must be a smart guy if he was friends with Albert Einstein. That's pretty cool. I agree. Yeah, so do you want to take it away for us, Fiona? We'll start us off. I think we can start with the first page. Do we want to do the acknowledgements or get right into it? Uh, should we? Or should we start right with the packaged house? Let's just start with the packaged house. All right. A wartime, a wartime proposal. There we go. So the legacy, or the French legacy of Conrad Walshman. When Conrad Walshman arrived at the Gropius House in Lincoln, Massachusetts in September 1941, a destitute refugee among his few possessions were two precious rolls of drawings which he believed would one day make his fortune one of these was the design of a tubular steel structural system the system later to become wildly known as the mobile hangar one was the washman's major contribution to the art and science of building technology its details fall beyond the scope of his this study but its development overlaps with our present concern and in some respects impinges seriously on it. The second roll of drawings contained ten small sheets, annotated, unsigned, and undated, which delineated with exquisite precision a modular universal building system consisting of load-bearing panels, weatherboarded externally, flushed panels internally, thermal insulated, and combining freely, as indicated by the plan, sections, elevations, and details, to generate a house plan adhering to a rectilinear three-dimensional modular grid. The edges of the wall panels were beveled at 45 degrees and were secured to each other by elaborate Y-shaped metal connectors. This proposal for a universal housing system lies in the heart of our subject. Mm. And there's some lovely photos that explain how everything, I think, goes together, the prefab connections. Yeah. I'm just going to back up a second. Yep. There was a, an inspirational quote All right. by Walter Gropius. Letter to a group of students from 1964. For whatever profession, your inner devotion to the tasks you have set yourself, 
must be so deep that you can never be deflected from your aim. However, often the thread may be torn out from your hands. You must develop enough patience to wind it up again and again. Act as if you are going to live forever and cast your plans way ahead. By this, I mean that you must feel responsible without time limitation. And the consideration whether you may or may not be around to see the results should never enter your thoughts. If your contribution has been vital, there will always be somebody to pick up where you left off. And that will be your claim to immortality. It's very selfless. Yeah. That's good. It's it's almost uh, (laughs) reminds me a little bit of that crazy lab that we did with Emmanuel. (laughs) Where everybody's just picking up where everyone else left off. Anyway. Um, so back to where we left off before. <laughs> These two inventions, which represented the tangible legacy of Waxman's unhappy stay in France. So the inventions being his two the, sets of drawings, the prefab system. Um, th- they represented the tangible legacy of Waxman's unhappy stay in France, were documented under the most adverse conditions the prefabricated house in the internment camp, the steel system partly in Grenoble and partly when sheltering in the south of France in a, quote, cave near Vence in 1939. Wow. On starting his new life in America as Walter and Yves Gropius' guest, Waxman set these projects aside to deal with more pressing immediate issues. Seeking to give Waxman some source of income and, more important, a sense of independence, Gropius offered him the opportunity of working in association on two architectural projects for whose design he had just been commissioned, a recreation center for Key West, Florida, and a house for a, quote, successful writer. Mysterious. This new (laughs) professional association was in a sense timely for Gropius, who rarely, if ever, put pencil to drafting paper, who always preferred to work in collaboration and who, at the time of Waxman's arrival, found himself unexpectedly working alone as his life, life, or his long-standing <laughs> association with Marcel Brouwer abruptly came to an end. And there's a photo of Waxman with ease and Walter Gropius just having a good having laugh. Having a good together. laugh. Yeah. <clears throat> right. Uh, Gropius and Washman worked on these projects for a couple of months in the Gropius office in Cambridge until the bombing of Pearl Harbor brought America into the war and eventually caused both schemes to be abandoned. However, the changed situation of America and the implications of its new active role in the war stimulated Watchman to consider new architectural challenges and possibilities through the reactivation of dormant but not forgotten ideas. That evening, on December 7th, 1941, he recalled returning home. I told Gropius for the first time that I had developed what I had that I had developed during the time of the internment camp in France, a universal system of industrialized building components. <laughs> of course, in the metric system, we talked after dinner until late in the night about it. The revelation of this system could not but excite Walter Gropius. He had oh whoa, he guys sorry I'm sorry Tuesday, he had we may recall just given evidence to the Congress on the need to develop such a factory produced system of standardized parts, which should be interchangeable for the use in different types of houses. 
Now the basis of such a scheme, well conceived and presented, was put before him. The late night discussion on this faithful evening could have but could have but one result, a decision by Walter Gropius and Carter Walshman to devote all their energies to a concentrated effort to develop the proposal to its full potentiality. Gropius, of course, had many other obligations by which his direct commitment was limited, but Washman was free to give the project his full attention. To this task, we, he now devoted himself in a design studio set up in the basement of the Gropius house. The Packaged House Work now proceeded at a furious pace. Three drawing tables were set up in U-fashion, and Watchman, on a swivel chair at the center, worked day and night, seven days a week, hardly ever leaving the house. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Sounds like our life already. <laughs> the first task was to convert the original drawings done in the metric scale to feet and inches. Watchman, who was never satisfied merely to reiterate a previous proposal, took the opportunity to reconsider many of the original details, most significantly the metal joint. <laughs> Sounds like me trying to work on my portfolio <laughs> and just redoing all my projects. This new set of drawings included details of ten standard panels, which made up the set of enclosing elements, and a sectional perspective to, sh to show how they combined to create an architectural entity. It comprised 20 sheets, bound in a cover labeled Conrad Watchman, 1941, 1 to 20, and constituted the de definitive basis of all future cooperative effort. But development work did not stop there. On the contrary, yet another variant was painstakingly involved with a completely new type of metal wedge connector, the third which Washman had devised so far. This wedge connector consisted of an interlocking set of metal plates housed in the panel edge, replacing the Y-shaped connector screwed to the beveled surfaces of the original modified French schemes. As all the components of this new connector were essentially two-dimensional rather than the complex three-dimensional form of the Y connector, they were obviously considered to be easier to manufacture and less vulnerable to damage. Progress was unbelievably fast. At the beginning of February, Washman was able to report to a friend in England that the work was nearly done, with 20 of 24 planned sheets completed. He had worked compulsively, driven not only by his creative demon, but his boundless faith in the system, but equally by powerful emotional stress of a blacker hue. He was an he was an uprooted and displaced person, living in the kindness and hospitality of others. His wife Anna was ill in New York, and he was torn by anguish over the news of, from Europe that his mother and sister had been transported by the Nazis to Poland. In his case, work, in his case, work was not only a means of fulfilling long-held ambitions and a way of regaining independence and self-respect. It was also an antidote to pain. The new set of drawings comprising details of the panels, the new wedge connector, methods of jointing, floor and roof construction, stair details, room, room combinations, and illustrations of a fictitious building using all the elements was completed by the third week of February 1942. Joseph Hudnett, Dean of the Graduate School of Design at Harvard University, was one of the first to see the completed work and suggested the name, the packaged house, which was immediately adopted. The term itself was not new, but it was appropriate and became the registered trademark of the system as well as its popular appellation. So we've got some more drawings of these connectors 
and the panels. Did it say what the panels were made out of? Looks like some of them... Look, some of them are insulated and some of them are already cladded, I think. Yeah, it's sort of like a metal frame and then with... Like there's an interior and exterior to it. And then all these different connectors, which... I don't know. It's like how Ikea has their connector that puts everything together. Yeah, depending if you want them to be side by side or create like a four-way wall or Mm -hmm. whatnot. There's like an example of like that fab, what it looks like fabricated, I think, and then a very simple floor plan. What I'm assuming of how you could put those connections together. Yeah. So there's sort of a grid, and then you can place something there or not to define your walls. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Next. Yep. <laughs> Gropius undertook the formalities of having the system patented. And by May 1942, an application had already been filed. Although the patent application claimed the novelty of the connector as the fundamental innovation of the system, the points stressed in the objectives of the system were much more comprehensive. The invention aims to transfer most of the labor involved in the construction of a building from the site of the building itself to a factory, and to make the erection of a building primarily one of assembly. In order to achieve this, standard units or sections, each consisting fundamentally of a duplicate of the other, are used so that any frame section can be interchanged with any other. In this sense, the system was conceived as universal, with an infinite potential for combinations of a set of standard panels, the vertical ones being load-bearing, related to each other in three dimensions, three directions. In trying to place the package house within the conceptual framework, of systems theory, it is advisable to consider separately two different issues. The packaged house as a construction system and the packaged house as a design system. In construction terms, it was conceived as a closed system. That is, it was entirely self-contained and comprised a kit of parts whose every component element was of necessary purpose made. Hi Adrian, do you wanna come in for a little recording? I had- Mouth surgery yesterday, so oh, maybe oh, so not. Maybe not. <laughs> I didn't know if you had started. I brought this for you. It's the little mic. Oh, oh thanks. That's awesome. That's very high tech. I don't even know how to record. I always depend on somebody else to have something that they can record. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uncut. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'll leave you to it. Okay. Please enjoy. Thanks. I hope that your mouth is doing okay post surgery. Yes. <laughs> Lots of drugs. Okay. Bye, Feel better. So, where were we? It was a rational system in that the number of components was severely limited, but for all that, it was closed. It did not seek to exploit the wide range of industrially produced building components then on the market. It could not, for instance, because of the nature of the panels and the jointing system, readily incorporate standard doors and windows or pre-made roof trusses or ceiling panels then being mass manufactured by others. Nor did it adjust to industrial norms where these existed, such as the standard 48 inch width of plywood, which was incompatible with its three foot four inch module. It was a closed, rigid, homogeneous construction system whose limited set of integrated components all stemmed from a single design source and ultimately would all have to be produced in one comprehensive factory. On the other hand, as a design system in relation to the end product produced, it was conceived essentially in much more flexible terms. 
here it could be described as open-ended. It did not uh, postulate a standard design, nor did it even envisage? What's that? Envisage. Envisage, yeah. all right. Envisage a standard set of house designs. It was intended to generate a very wide range of design options, which could not, in fact, should not be predicated in advance. These design options were, of course, not infinite, but limited by the parameters of the construction system to a family of designs that were all rectilinear, modular, panelized, and low-rise. At this stage, whether considered as a construction system or a design system, it was essentially product-oriented. The factory-made house is in itself a subsystem of a much wider system, which goes far beyond the physical object and that is the housing process. The factory-made house is a product. Industrialized housing is a process. In that process, there are, there are of necessity other subsystems relating, relating pr production to distribution, financing, legislation, transport, and land. The packaged house, as a product to be manufactured, was not yet conceived in terms of this wider context. As a tool for generating houses and as a physical product, package house was a unique and advanced concept, con conception, and yet like many other inventions, its uniqueness lay in its original synthesis of known and well-established elements, except for the four-way metal connector, correctly claimed in the patent application as new. Um, all other aspects of the system were by 1942 quite well known in theory and had often been demonstrated in practice. Load-bearing wood frame panels, independent of structural frame, had been used previously by both Washman and Gropius. Washman had worked with modular load-bearing panels at Christoph and Udmack prior to 1929, and Gropius had employed them in the Hirsch Cooper houses. Copper houses? Copper houses. Based on the... Forrester and Kraft patent, whose beveled edges were most identical to the prototype design bought by Washman from France, or brought by Washman from France, there were also several such systems used in the Growing House exhibition in Berlin in 1932, which had received wide publicity. An interesting pa uh, parallel in the United States was the Modulux system of a Arnold Southwell, an architect who was later to become involved in the packaged house story. As far as the universe, universality of the system was concerned, it is of interest to note an earlier proposal by architect E. Freeberger for the Torboda system in which he used three meter by one meter panels which were standard except for their finishes for floors, roofs, and walls. Yeah, so there's a lot of people trying to make prefab buildings. Hey, Charlie and I had to do it for like our room in the city project and yeah. we never figured out the connecting part. We were like, <laughs> yeah, all the panels will fit together and we never figured out how they would. So. I remember that. I remember there were some <laughs> triangular pieces of paper. There were some triangular Probably pieces. Probably a little Bob Smith action. <laughs> a little Bob Smith. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I don't know, I guess particularly at this time when, you know, industrialization and mass production made these It's like this whole assembly possible. line thing, right? people were particularly excited about that but I think that the prefab idea is still something that designers are kind of chasing and it never really like there still isn't you know this it's still not prefab house that everybody builds no and because everyone wants it to be their own and everyone mm -hmm. wants some sort of uniqueness to a home so I think the idea sort of gets lost in translation there because is it still a home if everyone's 
the same. Yeah. Well, there's this flexibility in the design. I think, like, one of the big flaws with it was what they're talking about, that um, that it wasn't considered in terms of the wider context of distribution and financing and all that. Like, if you had one of these houses and something breaks, you're depending on that company and, like, what if the company component. goes under, yeah. you know? Whereas maybe something like, um, like those it. kit houses that the wooden kit houses that were sort of at the beginning of the like the Sears century. Houses. Yeah, at least that. It's yeah. just made of lumber, so like yeah, you just get a can kit of lumber it. and you can fix it. Yeah. Something like that is maybe more successful. Anyway, but I think I don't know. It's an interesting concept still. Um, are you up next? No, I just finished reading all those oh, words. Okay. <laughs> all <laughs> those new names. <laughs> Only the ingenious four-way metal connector of Watchmen was entirely original. Oh, so maybe it's not that original. It's just the, <laughs> it's just the connector. <laughs> and yet, even here, it is not altogether without precedent. Some examples are particularly relevant. The infill panels of the uninorum system of constructions, demontables uninorum <laughs> of Paris... Oh, and that, those are French things, I guess. Demontable, you need know. Oh, that makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> of 1938, were connected by a metal fastener. The panels are fixed to each other by a special locking device with a key, two to each panel, an interesting locking device permitting rapid demountability. As one of the principal uses of the system was for temporary shelters and barracks, one wonders if Waxman perhaps came across the method when he was interned in France in 1939 and acted as the camp's director of building operations. Other examples are even closer to home. The Hirsch system locked the wall panels together by bolting them to a small ver vertical steel channel section. Gropius sought to eliminate this steel element by housing the fastenings indirectly in the wooden panel frame. To this end, he designed in 1931 to 1932 a most ingenious spring-loaded metal fastener, which was, however, not adapted by Hirsch. And then the Kristoff and Unmax system, as we have seen, connected the panels by means of metal catches, four on each side, led into the framework of the panels, and had in fact been using metal fasteners, hooks, bolts, clamps, for the earliest days. If attention is drawn to these precedents here, it is not to detract from the very real contribution made by the packaged house. In both its advanced design, every separate element, <laughs> and the overall consistency of its general conception, our purpose is rather to show that inevitably the packaged house was a product of its times, the climax to the evolution of prefabrication in previous decades. As such, it grew naturally out of the rich experience that had been granted by both Gropius and Washman in their separate paths to mastery in the field. The Contributions of Gropius and Washman There is no doubt from the historical evidence that the packaged house was initially the brainchild of Conrad Washman. Gropius confirmed this with characteristic generosity, ascribing to Washman a decisive part in the scheme. However, in saying this, he nevertheless to went, went on to claim that, in the development of the packaged house, he and Watchman had pooled our experiences. This is literally correct, as in the evenings they mulled together over the principles and the evolving details of the scheme, but it is perhaps also true in a more general and much more significant sense. 
the original Watchman proposal, the French scheme, which is the prototype of all subsequent mutations and developments, is the product not only of Watchman's ingenuity, but of a whole decade of experience of prefabrication to which Gropius in Germany had given the prime theoretical direction and a great deal of practical impetus. From this point on, their individual contributions to the joint endeavor varied in a kind and in quantity. Washman's contribution to the technical development predominated, and most of the drawing board decisions, those decisions of detail that were critical to architectural projects, were made by him. Gropius, of course, could contribute significantly here. He had a firm grasp of technical detail, and even though his experience in Germany had been predominantly in metals and lightweight construction, he had built up an extensive experience of building in wood since coming to America. But because of the limited time at his disposal, his role was more uh, that of a critic and sounding board watchman working full-time was the essential innovator of detail. Gropius, on the other hand, provided the theoretical framework which gave architectural meaning and a human goal to the technical means. The conceptual framework of his philosophy in unity and variety, flexibility and growth, stability and change, standardization and individual choice. He also gave the packaged house its first architectural form with a set of drawings showing possible housing house type generated by the system, a two-family house and a double-story row house with dwelling units of various sizes. Each in his own way responded to the challenges of technology and industrialization. Hence, Wachtman at the Princeton Conference on Building for Modern Man, quote, the planning of man's physical environment has to be based on the best use of the available, available technique, which in turn is based on our knowledge of and our ability to control energy. In other words, on our economy and on our science. Only when it uses such means can a building in any age be called modern. Anybody who is able to improve such methods, even in abstract terms, is in, indeed an artist. Gropius, end quote, Gropius on the same occasion had this to say, men will always <laughs> rebel at attempts at, at over-mechanization, which are contrary to life, but industrialization will not stop at the threshold of building. We have no other choice but to accept the challenge of the machine in all fields of production until men finally adapt it fully to serve their biological needs. And I think just going back before these quotes, there are some plans and a little axle there that I think show sort of what some of those floor plans actually look like with uh, those assembled components. Yeah. Even has Walter Gropius. Although, oh yeah, Conrad's on there too, just not as bright. But yeah, the two of them together, 1942. Yeah, nice axle. <laughs> <laughs> um, so continuing on, in other words, uh, to Washman, the technical imperative was sheer poetry by which man in heroic terms mastered the universe universe <laughs> whereas gropius it was an inescapable force a means to be transmuted by man into serving his human goals gropius was in some sense a 19th century figure a humanist with an ambivalent attitude to the machine fearing its dehumanization dehumanizing potential but recognizing it in on what in talk Etienne. Etienne Cabet. 
um, phrase as uh, humanity's emancipator, washman of the later generation, was a man of the 20th century, glorifying in technology and the science which underlay it at a source of light and poetry. Despite these fundamental differences, they shared some important values those being um, an intensive involvement in people and problems, a quality that Buckminster Fuller defined in them as love, an unassailable optimism for forward-looking faith, expressed in Washman's phrase, the future is everything, a synthetic version always taking the comprehensive view and seeing potentialities for relationships where others saw only boundaries and incompatibilities. In the fateful months between December 1941 and February 1942, within an ideology jointly conceived, Watchman produced the superbly drafted folio of drawings, and Gropius provided the logistics support. His home is a drafting space and a base for operations, the capital which provided for Watchman's work and livelihood and the cost of preparing drawings and models, access to legal guidance for making the patent application, most important of all, Gropius operated within an incomparable network of connections, which he had by now established through his formidable international reputation, his high standing at Harvard, and his inherent qualities as a human being of warmth and integrity. Such a network provided access to the packaged house proposal, to sources of influence in the press, the government, the academic world, and even the fringes of high finance. They entered the affair as equal partners and cooperated willingly and selflessly, but the stresses under which they operated were great. There were the macro stresses of the troubled world situation. It was not easy to be categorized, even if only a technical sense, as enemy allies in wartime America. Enemy it, aliens. A, oh, what? What did I read? <laughs> allies. <laughs> aliens. Because they're, they're Germans who fled in the Fled in the war. States. Yeah. Yes, aliens, not allies. <laughs> um, it was not easy in the tranquility of New England to ponder the fate of their friends and family in Germany. And then there were micro-stresses, the eternal worry about money, the tensions of an overlong stay as a house guest, where hospitality, however generous, eventually becomes a burden on the receiver, as well as the donor. The frictions caused by personality difference began to arise. Not only was Eve Gropius by now, much to her husband's concern, beginning to become resist-restive resist with the situation, but by the spring of 1942, it was becoming apparent that the future of the packaged house system lay not in the secluded world of Gropius's house in Lincoln, nor in the academic ambience of Cambridge, but in the hurly-burly financial world of New York. The hard decision was taken for Watchman to leave the drawing studio for New York City. Is Gropius, whom he greatly admired, but with whom in recent weeks he had increasingly crossed swords, bade him a hero's farewell. Come back to Lincoln, she said, either with your shield or on it. What does that mean? With your shield, with your shield or shield on, on it? it? I don't know. I haven't heard I'll that expression. If that's I'll have to look that up. I'm not really sure. Watchman, I guess it's like prepare to battle or like be dead surrender. Watchman <laughs> um, left Gropius as he had arrived practically penniless. He still spoke little English and faced considerable hardship in New York, New York. But overcoming difficulties was a way of life with him. He was stimulated to be a free agent again 
and was optimistic that he would successfully meet all challenges. Great events had taken place in recent months, not only in the studio at Lincoln, but also in the public arena in the world of housing. On the 24th of February, 1942, President Roosevelt said, you, oh wait, President Roosevelt used his war powers to consolidate all federal housing functions with a new national housing agency under a single administrator with full powers. In the same month, it was reported that a division of the W of the FWA had allocated 153 million for demountable housing in a vast program to house defense workers relocated through the decentralization of industry. The program, which aimed at producing 42,000 dwellings, provided a great opportunity to the prefabrication industry. Gropius's evidence to the select committee of Congress had possibly been a factor in, these, in this highly favorable development. Watchmen would have to hurry, however, if the newly invented packaged house was to be ready in time to share in this promised windfall. To be continued, doesn't really say what happened. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, and it's funny that like, like as architectural students or like as this architectural environment we all like know Walter Gropius's name and like yeah, we sat we down have. to read this and we had to look up who Conrad Washman was but he was played what it seems like this like integral part yeah and with housing the package housing yeah and I mean just or like modular like development of housing yeah oh and like and he's friends with Albert Einstein he also received pre Rome um, that was before the war in 1932, so that's pretty prestigious. What happened to the packaged house? Let's see if I can find out through a quick Google search. I just like want to find the rest of this chapter because it does go in. It starts to talk about whatever is next here. What happens to his, him in New York? He couldn't find a backer to finalize his project. Hmm. Anyway, um, somebody can look that up and hopefully bring that to the discussion. Maybe he got involved in similar product projects. Or Gropius stole it from him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? So, anyway, thanks for uh, being on the show again. Yeah, no Fiona. worries. I'll be the seminar leader this week, so. so yeah. Um... What else? Uh, remember to vote about the new oh, yeah, the name. name. <laughs> if you have any other ideas, please let us know. Um, so far, Ghosts of Med Junk is winning in the lead, which <laughs> I kind of like. Shane came up with that pretty pretty off the cuff. I like it. Um, but I don't know. If you have any other thoughts, post it to, to the poll. And uh, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Woo!